Good morning and hello. Yes, we are live and uh, this is Critical Q&A number 393, live edition. Uh, welcome to our show for this Sunday morning. Doing this a little uh, hour earlier than I usually do. I wanted to uh, be even more inclusive to our overseas friends. And also I had some things to get done today, so I wanted to knock this out first thing in the morning and uh, say hi to everybody and interact with you guys because I love, love doing live streams um, and getting the, the immediate feedback. Hey, Indiana. Hey, Vienna, Austria. Wow. Uh, excellent. Thank you very much. Um, yes, I think this will be fun. So uh, greetings and salutations. And uh, right away, I will definitely say that I do like uh, atypical Paul here. Let me uh, let me see if I can throw this up on the screen here and see if this works. Um, do I like uh, Doctor Who? And up oh, now here we go. Got to go to this screen. There we go. And then we can go over to. Uh, sorry about that. I should be speaking into my mic. There we go. Do I like Doctor Who? <laughs> uh, and the answer to that question is I like some Doctor Who. <laughs> I really liked. I really uh, just to give my uh, my my quick answer on that. I have uh, always. I, I really liked the uh, Christopher Eccleston season, the the very first of the of the Bring Back seasons on Doctor Who, and then I really 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 liked um, uh, Tenet. Um, so David Tennant, uh, at least, and then after that, I kind of was done. So that was that was my that was my Doctor Who experience was Eccleston and then Tennant, and then I was like, okay, I'm I'm finished. I've gotten the the, the point of this, and I've I've been entertained by it and enough. <laughs> so um, yeah, five o'clock in the UK. Wow, you guys are uh, you've had your whole day, and I'm just starting mine. It's it's so funny. Um, yes, I know. I know that yeah, lots of people and every doctor has tons of fans and stuff like that. Totally tracking on that. Uh, oh, my God. Freezing Minnesota. Ooh, freezing Denver as well. It's still white and uh, icy out there. Hopefully, um, hopefully this week. I, I guess it's still going to be a little cold, but I, I'm hoping, uh, you know, it's January. Ugh. The, 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 the worst of winter is, you know, I was telling um, Mel about this the other day that, you know, during November and December, the weather is awful, but you have the holidays happening and New Year's and this renewal and all this, all this uh, wonderful, happy holiday stuff to distract you from all the cold and ice and awfulness. And after New Year's, all those distractions go away and you're just left with the awfulness of how cold it is. And, and mucky and disgusting and, you know, slippery and slidey and everything else, trying to get places and, and all that. And so it makes it feel like it's worse than November and December when it's, when it's you know, kind of just as bad. Yeah, good times. Okay. Um, Fabian has a question for us already in the Super Chats, which is awesome. And as per the 
uh, rules of our super chats and questions on our Q on our live Q and A's. If you put a question up in the um, on a super chat, I will definitely get to it uh, as quickly as I can. Otherwise, please uh, put my name, the at Chris Shelton MSC, in the comments so it will highlight and I will be able to see it easier as a question as opposed to a, or a comment or or something like that. So. Uh, let's go ahead and take up this question. Uh, he says here, do you know of any non-cultish whole system, which is as practical as Scientology and Nexium, without manipulation or, or, or hidden coercion, like a good, sincere Scientology or Nexium? Huh. That's an interesting question. Uh, let me think about that for a second. Any good version of these things? I mean, you can see I'm kind of coming up a little blank here, right? Um, I think the thing that locks up my thinking or that I start thinking about and trying to answer this question is, is there any legitimate system of self-improvement or self-help that is promising the sun, moon, and stars without all the creepy authoritarian nonsense and, and abusive behavior? And... No, because the promises that are made by these groups are exaggerated and nonsensical, and they're not real. They, you, you don't, there is no such thing as personal spiritual immortality and cause over life and stuff like that. So in terms of a system which is practical, Scientology and Nexium aren't really practical. So I think that's kind of where I diverge on the question is like, well, they're not really that. Uh, they are false systems of deception and deceit that are wrapped up in a lot of flowery language that makes it look and feel and sound as though you are gaining an incredible amount of improvement or self-realization or enlightenment when in fact you are not. You're, there is no enlightenment there unless you consider being taught false principles is enlightenment. And, that's, and, and I don't think about it that way. So maybe I'm missing something in the question, Fabian, but I'm not, I don't think that there is such a thing because the, the, the hidden coercion and abuse and nonsense that exists in these groups and the, the loaded language, for example, and the use of manipulative tactics, it's, it's built into these things. It's part of its DNA to be like that because it has to fool or deceive you in order for it to make it look or feel like it's working because it's not really working. If that, I, I hope I'm, you know what I mean? The whole thing's a lie. It's all a lie. So, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, Fabian, thank you. A whole system of good therapeutic techniques that improve you. You're clarifying that. Um, my mind goes to a, a sort of a self-disciplinary activity or a self-learning activity like critical thinking or, you know, you have systems of logic, systems of reason and rationality that are integrated wholes that work that uh, that when applied will uh, will achieve relatively consistent results for you um so i think i start thinking along those lines I, I i don't know if that is what you're looking for but like you know when you learn about rhetoric or logic or reason or how to think you know you read something like carl sagan's demon haunted world and he provides a list of um, I think it was about 12 principles that are called the baloney detection kit, where you have a series of principles or critical thinking 
techniques, if you will, that you can apply to almost any situation or any, say, or any data set or any, any problem in your life. And these principles will help you uh, sort it out or, or work through what is the truth and falseness of this. How does this work? How does this not work? Those are the kind of things I start thinking about in answer to your question, Fabian, is something like that. Um, not exactly what you would think of as a self-help activity along the same lines as what Deepak Chopra or somebody would offer, um, you know, or uh, Andrew, what's his name? Um, but it's practical, it's usable, it's real. There's nothing, there's no curves to it. There's no lies or deception there. You know, it's here's how to analyze some data and use it for yourself. Here's, um, you know, you might find... Um, yeah, something like that is practical, useful, really helpful in your life. Uh, so, yeah, critical thinking. Maybe that's one reason why I feel so, um, you know, allied with it or, or, or want to promote it as a system is because it's, it works and it's an integrated whole. Um, yeah, stuff like that. That's, that's uh, some people are offering some other answers in terms of uh, non-duality, mental health and well-being. Yeah, it's, these, are, these are very, very difficult topics, mental health especially. Um, yeah, somebody's mentioning Norman Vincent Peale. I haven't read Norman Vincent Peale. I've heard that name many times. Um, and perhaps, you know, one thing I could offer in terms of therapy or therapeutic technique that seems to have um, evidence-based reasoning behind it and seems to be something that actually does uh, bring some, some science to psychology and cognition and, and therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. And another thing that has real promise, let me see if I can remember the name of this, it's... Um, um, Is it uh, no? I'm 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 forgetting it already, so I'm not going to pull it up or think about it. But there are there are a few um, different uh, non-medical models that are being proposed, but they're too new. I couldn't really promote them as anything like, oh yeah, this absolutely is the bomb. It's something new and and different that psychiatry and psychology are looking at in terms of um, the relationship between, say, um, power dynamics and relationships and and a, a ther- you know therapeutic models of of that um, BPM power. Yeah, I'd have to. I can't even remember it right now as I'm sitting here, which is kind of silly, but. Um, Anyway, those are those are things that come to mind for me in answer to your question, Fabian. And I'm sorry uh, if that is not as complete an answer or integrated answer as I would like it to be. But uh, that's what I can give you on that. Okay, and thanks for the contributions, guys, in answering that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, the only next thing that's helped me was an antacid pill. Yeah, CBT, that's right, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that there is something to that. And there are certainly at least some studies and statistics behind it and some, um, some real science applied in that direction. So I think CBT is definitely something to look into. Uh, okay, so thank you for that, Fabian. And uh, let's start having some more questions thrown at me. This is a Q&A show, so uh, I'm happy to take up anything y'all want to ask me about, Scientology or otherwise, as I take a drink here. Uh, 
<laughs> That's a good point, uh, X Cyan there. Um, X Cyan, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this for a second just because it's kind of interesting and important. Um, did you invent a new triangle, the IMC triangle, isolation, manipulation, and control? Well, that is actually the work of um, a guy named uh, Stark. And uh, Edmund Stark, I think. Anyway, Edward. And he is uh, pretty big in the coercive control field. In fact, I think he's the one who sort of popularized that phrase. Didn't invent it, but certainly used it uh, in his work. And he talks a great deal about personal relationships and domestic violence. And in that space or sphere, he he is a uh, thought leader. And his uh, concept or reductionist sort of uh, breakdown of coercive control is that it's three elements. It's isolation, manipulation, and control. You can break it down into those three parts. And, um, and I agree with him on that. He tends to have a rather um, female-centric view of coercive control in that he doesn't really see or talk about how females could be doing that to males. Uh, in terms of a, in terms of the gender dynamics of it, and he's definitely got a point that there is more physical abuse to, from men towards women, uh, or towards men towards men. I mean, even in same-sex couples, than you find in female relationships where the dynamics change up a little bit in terms of how the coercive control works. But I diverge from him a little bit in terms of, um, you know, I know that. Excuse me. There is an awful lot of coercive control techniques that are utilized by women on men. It just doesn't happen to be physically abusive techniques. But that doesn't mean that, as we've covered in great detail, and as Stark himself goes over in his own works, there are a lot of things you can do to somebody that are abusive and predatory that are not physical abuse. Um, so, uh, anything that falls under isolation, manipulation, control as a premeditated tactic of abusive control is what we, you know, label as coercive. So, uh, there you go. All right. Not Tony Stark. That is correct. Not, not this guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's see what else we've got here. Um, Oh, okay, here's a good question going on down the line here. Why is Scientology not as big in the UK, do you think? Well, because the UK is significantly smaller than the United States, let's say, where Scientology has uh, started. The UK was the second place Scientology reared its head in terms of international work, and Hubbard went to over to the UK early on in the early 1950s to get it going. I think it was in Bristol or, or London. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with UK geography as I would like to be, but, um, but it was the first place Hubbard was really gunning for setting things up, um, Scientology wise, but you know, it really only took in certain areas with a certain small number of people. It was really never, it really never like swept the UK the same way Dianetics did in the United States. And with that, that sort of sweep and viral, you know, sort of phenomena that occurred with Dianetics. Hubbard was able to uh, kind of ride that wave a little bit, at least with the little tiny following that he had left to him in, the in 1951, and then build that back up into Scientology in 1952, 3, 4, and start getting it going again as a religion. Um, 
So during that time, you know, it was really tailored to U.S. sentimentality. The icon, you know, the icons, the religious uh, symbology that started being put forward. It was all very, very much to a United States demographic. And I think that's why Scientology has tended to be Western-centric and U.S.-centric ever since its beginning, as it was always tailored to that. Um, and it picks up whatever it picks up in other countries, you know, that, that sort of um, can glom onto that same wave, I guess, you know, as a simple answer to that question. Uh, okay, so, yeah, okay, good. Let's see what else we've got here. Um, I have not. OBG Foster asked me here, have you heard of gray rocking? It sounds like something taught in Scientology. Have you used it since leaving? I've never even heard of gray rocking. So very quickly, I'm just going to check if this is a phrase that surrenders to Google. Gray rocking is a technique used to divert a toxic person's behavior by acting as unresponsive as possible when you're interacting with them. Oh, I've, <laughs> I do this all the time. <laughs> uh, this is basically just kind of ignoring somebody when they're trying to abuse you. Um, avoiding eye contact, not showing emotions during a conversation, just sort of sitting there and kind of enduring it. This was basically my coping action in Scientology was gray rocking. That's funny. At least from that little bit that I've read there. If there's more to it, then maybe I'm misusing this terminology. But that's kind of funny. Um, sounds like something taught in Scientology. Yeah, kind of. I mean, bull bait, the, the TR0 bull bait drill that is, that is the famous drill used in Scientology to, to train yourself to not react or respond to people that are trying to trigger you or, or make you laugh or, or break up. Um, could be considered an exercise in gray rocking. Yes, that is true. That could be that way. Maybe that's where I picked that up, that you just sort of sit there and silently endure it. Um, it was certainly a skill that I did learn in Scientology, but it's not something I've retained even because it's hard to do, and it's also very unnatural, and it feels very restrictive. Um, you know, yeah, huh, Interesting. Interesting. So, yes, I've now I've heard of it, and yes, I've used it since leaving. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, I, I, I guess I've used it in an effort to try to uh, uh, um, tolerate or put up with somebody that I really just don't like in the moment, or I'm just not, or there's behavior or activity going on that I'm just not rolling with, but I have to. Because I don't want to be rude, or I don't want to be uh, the the uh, you know the odd one out, or I don't want to be upsetting to this person, or I don't want to rock their world or or upset them. Uh, so yeah, so I'll just kind of roll with it. But that's not really technically what I read in Gray Rocking here, where you're trying to deal with an abusive narcissist. I I'm not using that in terms of you know relations with abusive narcissists. I don't have abusive narcissists in my life. Uh, not like I did when I was in Scientology. I just don't have that kind of thing in my life anymore. And if I run into people who are like that, I'll tend to just walk away, you know, rather than sit there and endure it. So, uh, hmm, yeah, interesting, interesting question. Uh, okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, 
Here we go. Uh, Heyhan asks, did you ever participate in fair gaming anyone? Um, my first answer is no, but I'm going to think about this for a second because I don't want to just toss off anything um, and then forget or miss something and think about it later and go, oh, no, there was that one time. Um, I never had interactions with or stalked or, you know, anything like that. Anybody in Scientology who was declared a suppressive, if they were declared, I didn't want anything to do with them, right? We were, it was disconnect. It was get away, shun, you know, you're not in my life anymore. So I never operated on any instructions or directions under OSA or otherwise to go after or antagonize or stalk or harass anyone who was declared suppressive. I never did any of that. I knew people who did. Uh, I didn't know that's what they were doing, and I didn't think about it that way. We thought it would, when when it came, they the, like the two or three times in the 17 years I was in the Sea Org, the two or three times that anything came across my plate where OSA was engaging in fair game operations was always worded in such a way that they were church attackers and we were defending ourselves. And that was how it was communicated or framed to us. So I never even thought about it as something we were doing to them. It was always we were responding to their attacks. And that was, like I said, the only that was only about two or three times where it kind of came on my radar that some external operation was going on and they these people were involved in it and i was witnessing some part of it but i but i was never witnessing or seeing the direct fair gaming of somebody what comes to mind for me in answering this question in terms of my own negativity and bad behavior is declaring people suppressive and i was involved in that uh, there was one person I was I was gunning to declare, and I did declare him. Uh, not all on my own bat. Uh, there was a formal process to do it with a committee of evidence. I was the one kind of heading that up or calling that. Um, and I look back on that with, you know, sh a bit of shame, a bit of, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. That was not very cool at all. Um, and basically got this guy kicked out of Scientology. And, you know, ultimately that would be to his benefit, but not the way we did it. And it was pretty emotionally abusive uh, because I was trying to browbeat this guy into compliance. And he was not complying. And it was just getting bad to worse to worse to worse. And I felt like I didn't have any choice. And what this guy was really doing, if I remember right, is really just exhibiting free will and independent thinking. He was like, well, this doesn't make sense and this doesn't make sense and I don't want to do this and it was resistance to command intention and I wasn't having it right and I ended up having to declare this guy and I felt you know very justified and vindict you know vin vin vindictive uh in the moment and I look back on it and I think Jesus you know what an asshole I was uh, for for trying to ruin this guy's life because he wasn't complying with our orders and he wasn't just going with the program, you know. And I felt in a real, I felt like a, a like a real middleman bureaucrat stuck between 
trying to understand where he was coming from, but also having this command intention on my head of like, this place needs to go and it's not going. This was a supervisor in Hawaii. Um, nice guy. You know, he was, there was nothing wrong with this guy. And, uh, and I just really ended up kind of having it out for him and declared him. And, uh, I don't know what happened to him after that. You know, he, he left the church and wasn't involved in any of that anymore. And I, I really, really hope that he, uh, that, that things turned out for him, but that's, uh, that's what comes to mind in answering that question. Not something I'm proud of, uh, in any way. Okay. Um, Let's see what else we got here. Oh, we're getting lots of questions coming in. This is good. Um, oh, okay. So, CT, howdy from Southwest Florida. Do you have any plans to do any live streams or interviews with Aaron or Mark? I, I do not. No, they're kind of doing their thing, and I'm doing mine. And um, no, no, no plans on collaborating. Uh, however, if the opportunity presents itself, it certainly will. I mean, you know, no reason not to particularly. Um, okay, so we got that one. Okay, Piggly Pie, here's a good question. Could you elaborate on how you get out of the control, manipulation, emotionally, mentally, physically, etc.? How do you gain the strength to not just cave, for example, in a work environment? Okay. Okay, well, obviously, the first and most uh, important answer is if there is any possibility of, of a person in a work or, or domestic situation who is being uh, coercively controlled, physically abused, psychologically damaged, the first thing to do is figure out how to get the hell out of that situation, extricate yourself. If you can do so immediately, please do so. If you cannot because it is your money ride or this is somebody you can't separate from or something like that, then you have to start examining, putting together a, a plan of extricating yourself over a longer term period, but still figuring out how to get yourself out of that situation. Maybe it takes weeks or months, but it you, you need to figure that out because you, there's no reason to tolerate or, or put up with uh, an, an abusive situation that you're finding yourself in. Um, there just isn't any good excuse for it. And if you can't change it, you need to get away from it. If you can change it, by going to senior people or other people or somehow, um, if it's a domestic partnership, you know, somehow educating or appealing or getting some therapy, you know, with your partner to figure out what's going on. Because abuse sometimes comes from ignorance, not premeditated evil. Sometimes people are just stupid and have no idea what they are doing. And when you point it out to them, they immediately like, oh, my God, and change their behavior and and you can change a situation just by confronting it dealing with it communicating about it you know can, putting it out there on the table uh if that's not realistic in the situation you're dealing with and i would certainly understand if it's not then um then like i said you have to figure out how to extricate yourself from that in the meantime as far as um you know, having the strength to not just cave in, that comes from your own personal certainty of what's going on, educating yourself about boundaries and red flags and narcissists and how to deal with them. And quite honestly, that gray rocking thing is not a bad strategy under certain circumstances where you are not in the power position. If you have to sit there and just sort of take it, 
then you just kind of put your turtle shell on and you deal with it in the moment and you don't let it get to you and you don't let the words or phrases or you know the the force that they that this narcissist or predator is trying to drive you with and is trying to drive you cave you in with you, you, you know, once you recognize that's what's going on, it gives you power. It gives you, oh, an awareness that this is what this person's trying to do. Well, I guess what? I don't have to let them do that to me. I don't have to let their words matter to me. I don't have to let their emotional manipulation change how I'm feeling or thinking. And it's not pleasant. I don't pretend that this is easy or simple or a ride in the park. It's not especially with the more power or influence this person holds over you. But that's why it's so important to figure out an exit strategy or how to extricate yourself out of that situation as quickly as possible. Um, okay, so I don't know. That's a, that's a toss-off you know, answer to, a, to an important but generalized question, so I'm giving you a generalized kind of answer. Obviously, um, for you specifically, um, you know, you might need to figure out more context-specific stuff that you can do or contact um, some professionals who might be able to help you in that situation. You know, there's therapy and stuff like that, but there's also um, consultation, you know, for your specific situation. Okay, um, that's what I can give you right now in this format, though I hope I hope that helps in some fashion. Um, okay. All right, cool. I won't worry about the Louis Thoreau question. Um, just going down the list now. Now I think, ah, here we go. Okay, Fabian has another super chat question. So let's throw it up. Uh, why are Scientology anti-drugs and pro-health but have no problem with heavy smoking <laughs> and LRH being so obese? Okay, well, one, because the leader is always the exception to every rule in every single cult situation. There's, there's always, there's, it, it's almost a rule. It's almost like something that happens so often across the entire spectrum of destructive cult activity that it's almost a rule that the leader is going to be the exception to every rule the leader sets down. <laughs> <laughs> right it's just it's it's this built-in hypocrisy with these groups um now that being said specifically um scientologists are anti-drug in terms of recreational drugs and and heavy medications or psychotropics but they're not anti-medication or anything and a lot of scientologists are former druggies who have an appreciation for drugs but they don't still take them or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're rabidly pro-health. I knew a ton of Scientologists who didn't give a shit about their body, couldn't care less about diets or fads or health or their, or, or their food intake or anything like that. There's tons of Scientologists who don't care about that at all. Um, as far as heavy smoking goes, Hubbard literally uh, says in his lectures that smoking is good for you and that nicotinic, nicotinic acid is uh, something your body gets something from. It's a good thing. So that's why Scientologists would also fall into thinking smoking is perfectly fine. Um, however, at the same time that I say that, not all Scientologists buy into that. 
Smoking and drinking are one of those optional activities in Scientology. It's not a mandated thing one way or the other. Hubbard talks about tolerance and, and moderation, and most Scientologists try to practice that. Um, some Scientologists, though, are covert alcoholics. Some are total teetotalers. So it's, all, it's kind of all over the board on that. It depends on the individual and their background and what they're bringing to Scientology as to how they're going to go about interpreting Hubbard's words on that. And uh, I hope that answers that question. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Toss off means something rude in the UK. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see what else we got here. Uh, atypical Paul, if... If Elrond were alive today and in his 50s, do you think he would have his own YouTube channel or podcast? Do you think Scientology would be run much different than it is now? Well, Scientology really couldn't, it would have to be run differently than it is now because if you tried to, if you tried to start Scientology the way Elrond Hubbard did in the here and now, you would fail. L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, numerous lies about his past history, his uh, pseudoscientific bunk claims that could be debunked in five seconds on the internet. All of that stuff was not debunkable and, and easily discoverable back when Hubbard was first starting his gig. It was a whole different world in 1950. Everything was different. So you, you you couldn't have Scientology now run the same way that it did then. It would have to be different. It would be more along the lines of a Deepak Chopra is how Hubbard would run his grift now. He would use more flowery language and more, you know, scientific concepts and stuff like that the way Chopra does. And he would just turn out this, you know, this mill of nonsensical quotes and spiritual guru nonsense with an occult, you know, under foundation, so, so sort of. You know, that's the kind of thing Hubbard would be doing. And, and sure, if he, if he wanted to get his voice out there and there wasn't any other way to do it, he might do a podcast. But Hubbard was a writer. He was really, he really could pound out the wordage. So he would write books. You know, he would be doing that kind of a grift the same way. Uh, again, I, I really kind of think that it would be that he would look and act an awful lot like, like a Deepak Chopra these days is kind of how I, with a, with a mix of Alex Jones <laughs> or David Icke, you know, sprinkled in there with all the conspiracy nonsense. I think that's how he would manifest today if he started today. Okay. Um, I don't know the answer to this question, Jonathan. Uh, has anyone gone missing from the free winds at sea? Not, not that I know of. Uh, I've never heard of anybody just completely disappearing off the radar. Um, but, of course, you know, that would be the whole point is they disappear and you never hear about them again. So I, I, I don't know. Okay. Um, Oh, well, here, I'll throw this one up. Uh, okay, so Vallis asks, I've always wondered how much Scientology stole from Thalema. I'm a little more familiar with Thalema. I'm general, uh, in general. Any thoughts on that? Well, here's the thoughts I'll give you is I will refer you to a podcast I did with, uh, with a guy who was a member of the Ordo Templi Orientis in the here and now. 
And we had a very long discussion. I think we did I think we did two podcasts where we talked about the OTO and Hubbard and the occult influence and what their beliefs actually are and what Thalema is and what L. Ron Hubbard's leanings were with all of that. Uh, and it was quite a fascinating discussion. So I would encourage you to check that out. I think you'll find it if you uh, search around on my YouTube channel under OTO or Ordo Templi Orientis and Thalema and Hubbard. I think you'll, you'll, you'll run across those podcasts and I encourage you to check them out because there was lots of thoughts on that, way more than I could discuss here. And um, I don't remember all of them, but we did go deep. So check it out. Okay, um, Okay. Exscientology. Macintosh is a brand name uh, that legions of computer users believe offers superior functionality compared to your run-of-the-mill PC. Is that like a cult of choice? That, my friend, is called marketing and promotion uh, and framing, right, or positioning. Uh, these are these are propaganda terms uh, that are the, the and cognitive terms for how we think about things, and this is why advertising works. This is what propaganda and marketing and advertising are all about: is getting you to associate products with other things, pleasant or unpleasant, good or bad, depending on whether they're trying to sell it to you or they're trying to get you to avoid it or stay away from it. And this is the way the human mind works: it's categorization and association. So. That what you're describing is not culty, it's just cognitive. It's just how we think and how we categorize things. And so Macintosh is positioned for a good set of people as the superior thing to IBM's PCs. That's good Apple marketing. And for whatever reason, that, that product comes from emotional manipulation, music, colors, lights, you know, imagery in uh, marketing materials. So that's that. It's not. It's not culty. It's 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 just how we are. I, I guess you know. At least that's my off the top answer. You can ask me more about that. I guess. Okay. Yes. Uh, correct. Okay. Da 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 da. Something rude in the U.S. Yes. Ooh, tough question. Okay, here's a tough one. Raymond Vanderstedt. Uh, Chris, do you think for some senior Sea Org members it would be better to stay in Scientology the rest of their lives because it might be too difficult to adapt to a new life without prospects? Um, I'm going to not answer this question in a broad general sense because I think that it is intensely context-specific to each individual case, and there's really not that many of them. There are a limited number of senior Scientology, you know, senior citizens who are in the Sea Org. And I don't think generally that they should stay there. I mean, as a, as a, as a, as a first answer, no, get them out of there. But as a second answer, of course, if there's no support network, if their life is, if their life is materially and substantively going to be worse as a result of leaving the Sea Org, i.e. if they were going to end up on the street or something, 
then of course I would say, yeah, they should stay in a place where they're going to get three square meals a day and a roof over their head and a bed to sleep in. But that's about all they're getting, you see. So I would really want them to get themselves extricated from that situation if it was possible to do so. However, I understand that that can be a damn near impossible feat for somebody who's in that position. And in which case, then yeah, their future prospects are what they are. And you know that that person has to share the responsibility for that situation too, because they are in there and put themselves there and stayed there. But, um, but that's not the that's not the important part of the answer. The important part, of course, is that Scientology's you know abusing them. So uh, if they could get out of there, they should. I mean, that's that's the real answer. But, um, but that's not always possible, and that sucks. So do I want it to be that way? Do I prefer it to be that way? Should it be that way? Absolutely not. You know, we would really hope that they could find some kind of support system outside of the Sea Org where they could get themselves out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Tossing off. You guys are hilarious. You guys... Okay, uh, going back up the line here. Okay, let me see if I can speed this up because I've got a lot of things stacking up here. I see. Um, Okay, good. Okay, Here's here's, here's a hardcore question. Steph Tout. Is there anyone who you knew when in Scientology that you could not forgive or speak to if they left due to their actions in the church? Yes, there are. Um, They would have to go. There are about three or four people who I knew in the Sea Org who I would never uh, reach out to or try to speak to or want to have anything to do with if they were to come out. Um. If they were to start speaking out and become a critic or whatever, I would still be like, yeah, I, I, fuck that guy, you know, uh, or woman because uh, two of them are women. Um, I just would not want to have anything to do with them. They were too, what they did to me personally and what they did in their entire Sea Org career, how they treated everybody uniformly, badly and abusively, um, was is unforgivable to me it was a choice that they were making that was not just Scientology influence it was their personality and it was bad it was evil behavior and I'm talking here about a woman who worked in OSA there was another woman who was in a senior position in the estates division in um in the pack base who was just there was just nobody she ever liked she ripped everybody's face off Um, and she took great pleasure in it. It was one of these people that you're just like, oh, this person's got something really wrong with them. And those are the people I'm talking about here. There was also the security chief. I would never want to have anything to do with that guy. He seemed to take a great deal of relish in his job and in um, tormenting and abusing people. He seemed to take a great deal of pleasure in that. So those are people I wouldn't want to ever have anything to do with, and I severely doubt that I ever will. They're not coming out of Scientology. Scientology enables them and uh, and gives them an environment where they get to whet their appetite on people. So why would they leave, you know? But um, but those are the people, you know? So, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. 
Um, interesting question. DJ Better, do you think we should be shocked slash impressed with how many members are reaching out to the Aftermath Foundation? Um, well, I don't know how many are reaching out to the Aftermath Foundation, so I'm not sure how to answer that question. I, I, I guess. I mean, I don't think we should be shocked. I think we should be impressed. I think we should be happy every time somebody reaches out to Aftermath because that's another person out. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of any help I've been able to provide to people to get them going in that direction. And I've been able to assist in a few of those. And uh, it's always a good thing. So I, I'm impressed by it, you know, every time it happens. But I don't know the numbers on it, so I, I couldn't speak to that. Um, ha! <laughs> uh, was Scientology the source for Ferengi rule of acquisition number one? Once you have their money, you never give it back. I doubt it, but it's a, but that's definitely, definitely a rule in Scientology. Um, okay, good. Thank you very much, Claire, for uh, hoping I have a good day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, just since we're on a live stream and Jonathan just threw this uh, in the comment feed a minute ago, I will check this out and see uh, if we have any new news on David Miscavige dropping right now. Nope, two days ago, three days ago, one week ago. Nope, nothing new uh, as we're sitting here doing this podcast. So, not sure what you're seeing there, Jonathan. You'll have to let me know. Okay. Um, bring in another. Da, 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 there's no true. This command I get maybe not all across the field. Okay. All right. Big Daddy Beats. Question How much longer can the Church of Scientology, now that it seems to be in its last legs, can we hope to see DM in prison? Keith Rainier needs a cuddle buddy. Yeah, how much longer can the Church of Scientology last is the question, I suppose. And the answer is it can go on for a very long time. We have to be honest in our assessment of Scientology and its relative importance in the world uh, and in law enforcement, and that is that it's pretty small. It's a pretty small beast uh, that not a lot of people in law enforcement are super keen to go after right now. There are possibly things happening. You hear about things here and there and law enforcement uh, interested in this, interested in that. FBI checking this out, checking that out. We hear about these things, but nothing certain, of course, because we're not privy to the inside workings of that stuff. But it's been years and years and years and, you know, nothing's really going on. We see court cases where Scientology comes up, like Nanny Masterson, and how much does Scientology weigh in on the jury? Not at all. They didn't care about it. Why? Because they couldn't be told about it. Because the court system is protects Scientology. It enables Scientology. That's the way our First Amendment works in this country. It's the negative side to having freedom of religion, is you have to have freedom of cults. And it sucks and the laws on our books don't have teeth, and we do not recognize coercive control in the court system. The reason I'm bringing this up or talking about this is because if you think Scientology is going to go down legally, I would ask you to maybe rethink that. 
that's not how this is going to go down, at least not according to how things have gone in the past and are going in the present. So instead, we have to look at the fact that Scientology is going to have to decay slowly over time through degradation, through education, through, you know, the, the, the truth about its abuses and predatory practices uh, becoming such common knowledge that nobody wants to have anything to do with it. And that's pretty much been my strategy and effort ever since I started my channel. Going after Scientology legally is... Um, you know, is a difficult, if not Herculean task, and one that is not going to result in any quick remedy. And there is no single court case that is going to take Scientology down in a civil court of law. This is not going to happen. A criminal case could be brought against Scientology, and I believe if a RICO case were brought, that that Scientology could be dismantled. But that is a major, major undertaking on the part of the U.S. government. And so far, I haven't seen any hint or evidence that they have any idea of doing something like that. I don't know that anybody in the government even understands Scientology well enough to put such a case together. And maybe somebody should do something about that. And maybe somebody will. But in the meantime, we have the situation we have. So... um, So are they on their last legs? Not exactly. Are they declining? Are they falling apart? Are they eventually going to fall apart? You bet they are. Destruction is built into Scientology. It always has been. The the DNA of Scientology definitely contains its own destruction. It's going to do itself out of itself uh, all on its own. We're just speeding the process along. And that's my... um, Soapbox on the end of Scientology uh, as we know it at this time. So, um, so I'm trying to you know quell any sort of like, oh, it's the you know the end of Scientology is right around the corner. No, no, it's not. But it is seriously declining. It is not going to rejuvenate or rehabilitate itself, and and it is going to end. But it's going to take years and years and years and years for that to happen organically, you know, unless there was a significant sea change with the government and its view of religious tax exemption and coercive control. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about this. Hey, Hun says, any idea of a release date for the long-awaited E-Meter video, please? Your morning mentioning on Friday's stream that it's going to be a feature-length epic has really whetted my appetite. Okay, so let me be clear, uh, Hey, Hun, that I was talking about my tone scale video. The emotional tone scale is another thing in Scientology, foundational control mechanism, and that is the, that's the thing I'm working on right now. As soon as that is done, I'm going to get that e-meter video done. That script is almost all written, too. It's really on its last bits of, of development, and then I can produce that also. So the plan here is I am nose to the grindstone every day, Monday through Friday, working on the script. The script is now done for the tone scale video, the emotion video. 
and it's now being produced. I've got the audio laid down. I'm, I'm working out. The, I'm sticking the quotes in. I'm doing all the work to actually produce the video. It turns out it's about an hour and a half. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's really long. There's a lot of work to do on it. It's really going to be a deal. It's not just me sitting here talking. It's not a talking head video. It's a, it's a production. And so once that's produced, and I'm counting on, I'm... I've so overpromised and underdelivered for so long, but I am determined to get this done. 2023 hit, and I was like, "Fuck this! This shit needs to get done." So, um, so that's why I went nose to the to the to the wall on this. And uh, um, so, I'm thinking about a month and a half to get this emotional tone scale video done, and I'm thinking two months. Uh, after that to get the metering video done three months you know i still have some external interviews to 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 do and stuff but that's kind of what i'm thinking right now time wise right because i'm 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 really serious about this i am going to get this done now it is it's ridiculous that it's taken this long so um so those are some time frames for you that i do intend as i sit here right now to meet um and i hope that <laughs> that lets your appetite a little bit more. Uh, okay. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see what else we got here. Do I still smoke cigarettes? No, I do not. I have not smoked since uh, Scientology times. Um, I do vape. I have uh, certainly vaped an awful lot of uh, marijuana, but I do not smoke cigarettes. Okay. Um. Oh wow. Okay, uh, ex-sign, I had a Sea Org member at AOLA get in my face and scream at me for something silly, and I felt like knocking him out, but didn't. What do you think would have happened if I had? As a public person, you would have been commived. You would have gotten a committee of evidence. Uh, I am positive. At least you would have been dragged down over to the ethics section, and they would have, uh, you know, done a uh, full interview, OW write-up, order you to confessionals. You would have been paying for that. Uh, literally, you would have been paying for that. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, carry on here. Um, do you think there will be any schisms in Scientology? Um well, not of the official kind. There are schisms in Scientology. That's what independent Scientology is all about. It's nothing but schisms of Scientology. That's, that's how it happens. And, um, I mean, that's how the Christian denominations happened, is people just went their own way. And that's what's happened already in Scientology many, many, many times. There have been schisms going on in Dianetics and Scientology since the 1950s. So do I think there will be more? Of Absolutely there will be. But... Um, but will this affect the official Church of Scientology? No, they'll still claim to be the one and only source and hold all the trademarks and, and, and have legal you know, ownership of those. And the other groups will get away with it because Scientology doesn't enforce its own you know, trademark stuff anymore because they've got such dirty hands they can't afford to. Isn't that interesting? All right. <clears throat> Uh, da, 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 da. that's right. You guys are nailing it there. Um, Anthony Spurgeon, which Scientology celebrity is currently likeliest to leave? That's a tough one. I don't know. I couldn't say. 
because uh, I don't know where they sit. You know, I'd say Michael Pena, but he's married to Danny Masterson's personal assistant, right? So I'd, 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 they're, they're all so tight, you know, and that's kind of the thing at this point is that Scientology is really down to its pretty hardcore essential group. You know, it, it's it's they're really circled the wagons and the people who are there kind of either are fervently there or have to be there because they're so intimately connected with somebody who's fervently there that they don't feel like or they don't know how to extricate themselves from that and still maintain their life. That's kind of how I see Scientology membership right now. So I don't know who the next celebrity is going to be to to go. I I wish I had more inside knowledge on that kind of stuff because I know people love it. But um, yeah, don't know. Okay, there we go. Thanks for helping me with that podcast on the OTO, guys. Um, Okay, Anthony Spurgeon, could you classify Elon Musk and Andrew Tate as cult leaders? Here's something I've been wanting to comment on for a long time, and I'm glad it's come up right now because this is a really interesting phenomenon and one that is that bears an awful lot more study. Just because a bunch of people start acting culty doesn't necessarily mean the guy who they are acting fervent about is a cult leader. It could be an incidental side product or side effect of their behavior. There's this weird phenomenon with people that they that there are people who need leaders. They are that like they need them. They don't want them. They don't kind of have to have them. They they need them, and they will find them even in people who are not trying to be cult leaders. However, these are people who are willing to take advantage of these follower types, and and sort of play the role of it, but really do so from a half-assed opportunistic point of view, more so than I'm going to really be another L. Ron Hubbard. Elon Musk has the same personality type as L. Ron Hubbard, according to what I've read and, and know about the man. Andrew Tate's just kind of a big douchehead, right? He's just this big opportunistic guy who's apparently might have a, you know, a, a smart head on his shoulders, but his moral, you know, compass is so broken. It's it's introverted. I mean, it's just it's 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 evil, and he could well be guilty of of human trafficking and sex trafficking as well. That's what's that's the whole controversy surrounding him. But these are people who build up followings uh, purely for monetary financial gain, or build it up as a as a side consequence of what they're doing, as as different from a dedicated effort to build a following of people that they can personally manipulate for their own personal and immediate in real world gain. I, I, there's a, there's a difference here. There's maybe it's a gauzy kind of difference, but it's a difference. There's a, there's a, there's an intent difference here. I, in other words, I don't think Elon Musk is trying to form a church or trying to create the Elon Club. I think he was going about his life, doing his grift, going from place to place, you know, and he suddenly kind of hit on this public celebrity thing and was like, oh, this is fun. 
let's do this for a little while and see what kind of effects this can have on my stock options and on my on my valuations and on my ability to get things done. Let's see if I can use this as a tool to manipulate not those people, I am going to manipulate those people, but manipulate them for my own ends with these other investors or these other people or these other opportunity opportunities for money and stuff. And it, I see it as a slight shade of difference from what L. Ron Hubbard was doing where he needed that core follower following to worship him personally and that's what it was all about. For Musk and Tate, it's about this other thing and these followers enable them to get that. And I'm I you know, I've I'm only doing this off the top of my head, so I hope I'm speaking clearly here, but I I see that as a little bit of a different phenomena worth studying because I think you find a cult mentality in a follower and a celebrity follower base, even when the celebrity or 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 figure isn't really trying to do that. You know, I think that's where I'm kind of coming from on it. So I hope that makes sense. And those are some thoughts I have on those two people. So you'll have cult-like phenomena, by the way. I mean, you'll have the us versus them, and the followers will kind of organically roll into this culty mentality that they generate between themselves by talking to each other and goading each other into it. I mean, it's it's a little weird how that can happen, but that's the whole point about what I'm always going on about with cults being this codependent relationship. The followers are putting just as much into it as the leader is. Otherwise, it wouldn't work, you know? So that's, anyway, there's, there's some... There's some thoughts for you, at least. You guys let me know what you think about all that. Okay, um, and we're going to have to, oh, wow, yeah, we're going to have to wrap up here in a minute. So let me see here. I know I'm leaving a bunch of questions unanswered. Um, what happened with Steve Mango? He got bored with uh, with Scientology and went on to other things. That's what happened with Steve Mango. Um if a Scientologist was watching, think about leaving, but unsure of their choice, what is the one thing you would want to tell them? Um, make the choice. Get off the fence. Just get out. Find out more about it if you're in doubt or you have reservations or uncertainties about it. But but do do something, and you will not regret it. You will not, not, not regret it. I was in that exact same boat, and almost immediately after deciding that it was time to get out and start looking at getting out and then getting out, I never looked back on that and thought that was the wrong decision. I have had many, many, many regrets in my life, but leaving Scientology was never one of them, despite the uh, deep levels of emotional pain and, um, and problems that it caused me. I would never undo that. It was the most positive thing I've ever done for myself in my life. And I wish the same for anybody else out there. And so that's what I would say to somebody who's thinking about leaving is, is literally just do it. And, uh, and I don't think you'll ever uh, have any regrets about that. Okay. Um, and with that, I guess we will wrap it up here. Um, yeah, Fabian, on the statistics question, I've definitely done clips and, and shows on that in the past. So... I'm um, not going to feel too bad about not getting to that today. 
And um, there we go. So let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you very much, guys, for coming around and, and, and asking me these questions. Fabian, thank you for your super chats. I very much appreciate that, of course. This, this channel is entirely fan-funded. You guys are awesome, and thank you for your support and viewership here. And um, now let's go off and have a great Sunday. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope 2023 is going to be... Uh, good for you. I am definitely planning on making it good for me. I've got, as you have heard, I've got some big plans. I want to get every undone project that I've had on my plate for the last few years finished this year. And I've got very realistic plans to do that. And that it starts with getting these undone projects finished off, starting with the tone scale video and metering videos. So those are getting knocked out of the park. I promise that is happening. And then I have so much more content to give to you guys that I'm so looking forward to producing after I get those projects done. And um, there are book projects happening. And I, you know, I, I'm not promising getting a, a book done this year, but I am promising that there is going to be substantial progress on the one that I am working on. And I'm not going to say another word about that. It's just happening. So that all being said, I will see you guys um soon okay and with that let's go ahead and go here bye bye